Hey gamers, this is Joe from What I'm Playing Now, and I have episode 148 of the podcast that was originally recorded on February 5th of 2017. Some of the games I talked about this week, I gave a little whip and update. I kind of pulled this game out of the rest of the show and put it under this part. Asheron's Call, I gave a little tip of the hat to. Under the What I'm Playing Now part of the show, I talked about some Pathfinder Adventure card game, a little more Puzzle Strike, The Princes of Florence, some Resident Evil 7, Diablo 3, and Seven Days to Die. And I also talked about a few of the things that I want to play. Enjoy the episode. Hey gamers, welcome to the games. This is Joe Luzzi from What I'm Playing Now, and welcome to another episode of the What I'm Playing Now podcast. As always, you can send me some emails. You can let me know what you're playing now. You can send those emails to what I'm playing now at gmail.com. You can also join us in some conversations over on BoardGameGeek. We have a guild over there. We are guild number 2440. On Twitter, you can follow me at what I'm playing now. Don't forget to drop the G like I always say. On Facebook, you could just do a search for what I'm playing now. Our Google Plus page is plus.google.com slash the plus sign what I'm playing now podcast. And then as always, our Twitch channel is twitch.tv slash what I'm playing now. All right. This week we have a start off in the whip and update section of the show. I wasn't too sure where to kind of put this topic that I wanted to kind of talk about real quick. So I figured I'd just put it here. And that's basically the shutdown of one of my favorite games pretty much for the past oh, 17 years or so since I started playing it. And that game is Ashron's Call. For those of you who aren't familiar with this video game, it's uh, played on your computer. It's um, considered an MMO, so it's a massively multiplayer online game. It's a role-playing game. It's one of the, from what I would call, it's probably one of the first generation of MMOs that were released back in the late 90s. There were, from what I would consider some of those first early MMOs, you had Ultima Online. I believe EverQuest probably would have been next. And then Ashron's Call came out right around that same time. I believe it was, it came out of beta and was actually released, um, I believe it was November of 99 is when the game, I guess you could say, consider it went live. And I believe I started playing in January of 2000. So I pretty much started about two months after it had, it had gone live and I been playing it pretty much ever since then. I probably the longest running single game I think that I've ever played continuously over the course of the years. I, I can't think of another game that I've actually gone back to that would probably go back 17 plus years that I go back to on a regular basis and play. And you know, I would I would log in monthly actually still up until they shut the servers down to actually do a couple of quests, do a few things here or there, uh, make house payments on the the rent payments for the the houses that my wife and I had in the game. So I was I was still playing the game. I, I definitely wasn't as active as I was while I had been leveling up my character uh, when I had reached max level of 275 a couple of years ago. I, that's when I had probably played the most when I had gone back to the game. I believe I had started that character back in 2009. I had played him on and off for a little bit, but then there was um, probably a good year or two period where I really got deep back into the game after playing and leaving for many, many times. I mean, it's my my original account that I actually had, um, I actually didn't recover until when I had gotten deep back into playing that, um, that time a couple of years ago. So I had actually 
my wife and I had started actual new accounts when we got back into the game when they had released the last expansion. I think that was probably around the 2009 time frame. So it's it was it was a really it was a really great game. Uh, the, you know, the graphics definitely have showed their age over the past, you know, 17 or so years. But the really great thing about the game was in its heyday and, you know, when you were playing the game during those first years, there really weren't a lot of other games like this out there. And the interesting what the thing was Turbine was was really updating the game on a on a really aggressive schedule. I mean, they had monthly patches that were coming out that were advancing the storyline, that were taking characters through story arcs, and they were adding things to the game, changing the game in in a lot of different ways, adding new monsters. They were destroying cities at times, and there were just there were so many things that were added over the over the years of when they were actually doing the monthly updates. I think they stopped doing monthly updates a couple of years ago, and then the game had gone free to play. And I think about that time, everybody kind of realized that the game probably was kind of just hanging on. The developers were discussing and had informed the community that they were working on actual private servers that they were going to allow people to run themselves and they were going to be releasing the code to be able to do that and the software to be able to do that. Uh, that, it seems, has fallen by the wayside once Warner Brothers had purchased Turbine. And it's it's really just a shame that kind of the way the game ended pretty much isn't really what anybody really wanted to see, you know, come out of that game. Uh, especially since EverQuest is still around, Ultima Online is still around, a couple of those other games that are that were released right around that time frame are still you know, have, have the servers up and running. And it's it's a real shame that Warner Brothers actually did shut down the game, didn't try to see if there was any way that they could come back to get any sort of monthly subscription from people because it seems like, I mean, I would have kept all three of my accounts. You know, I was it was nice when it did go free to play because it did save me around 45 bucks or so a month. But had the game not gone free to play, I probably still would have kept those three accounts around because it was a game my wife and I like to go back to every now and then and revisit. Um, there were so many people we had met over the years of playing the game. Uh, people we met in real life, people we got together. Uh, my wife and I went to a couple of different um, Ashron Call meetups. Um, the one I remember we went to was down in Columbus, which was a very early on one within the game. I think at that time is when they were actually touting their world builder, and they were actually sh we got to see videos in some of the early setup, I guess you could say, of Ashron's Call 2, which I which we did play for a little bit, but definitely just never grabbed onto us like the original Ashron's Call did. And and it's funny because the way I had originally gotten into Ashron's Call, back in the day there was I think it was Intel who was having some sort of contest of some sort. And you just went out to the website, signed up for an email and, you know, entered their contest or whatever and I guess I had won somehow, not too sure what, but before, you know, I got an email saying, you know, you won and something, a box showed up in our, you know, from UPS, I think it was, or in the mail. I can't remember how it was actually here, uh, but my wife definitely remembers that day when that box showed up because that was pretty much when I became consumed with that game. And it was kind of funny when we talk about that, but it was, it was Ashron's call. And at that time I had been talking to a couple of friends and I had been wanting to get into either Ultima Online or EverQuest. I had a bunch of, bunch of friends playing EverQuest that I had, um, that I had worked with down at my, you know, friendly local game store down, down at the, at that time, they still had comics. So we still called it the comic book store. 
And I had really been wanting to get into one of these online games because they just looked rather interesting. I mean, I was a real big fan of computer role-playing games. I was a real big fan of adventure games growing up back in the 80s with a lot of the text adventures and everything. And um, I never really did get into the MUDs, which was, I guess, the precursor to all these MMOs, you could say, which are basically just complete graphical representations of the worlds in, you know, in text form. So when the MMOs started to come around, you know, I had talked to some friends and I had, I had been mentioning to him, you know, we should get into one of these games. We should get into one of these games. And when I finally received Asheron's Call, I, I started playing it, got really deep into it. Probably within the next year, I had gotten, you know, my wife into it. One of my good friends had started playing around with it a little bit. You know, we, he would come over to the house and we'd all kind of get together and try to just, you know, go on quests and do some different things. And it was it was just a really, really great game. And like I said, I had I had met and I still do keep in touch with a lot of people that I had um, met with in this game originally. So it's it's something that, you know, after after 17 years, when you when you invest something into it, it's really sad to see it go. Um, it'll be interesting to see if another game actually ever does come around that can that has that same type of of feeling to it that can actually grab and keep your attention for so long um, like this game, do, you know, had. As of right now, I can't think of anything that has really just grabbed me as much as this one did. So just wanted to talk about that a little bit. I know I'm in a couple of different Facebook groups, and there's a lot of people discussing, trying to figure out what's going to go on with the game next, if anything's actually going to happen to it. I I have a feeling that it's, it's pretty much just done from here. And there's going to be some people maybe making some emulators and doing some private servers and stuff, but I don't... I don't really think we're ever going to have the game back in its in its original fashion the way it was. And if anybody does actually kind of create an Asheron's Call 3 or anything or something similar, I just don't know if it will be the same thing. I mean, just like Asheron's Call 2 just really wasn't the same and just really didn't have that same appeal to it that that original did. And and I don't know what it was. Sometimes the first time is is just kind of like that best, you know, so... Sometimes you can't go back and revisit those things, but I just wanted to talk a little bit about Asheron's Call. Um, probably since the game shut down now, I probably won't be able to talk about this one again. So unless if a miracle happens and somebody is able to bring this game back from, you know, pretty much the dead, that's about it for it. So I will tip my hat to AC. Turbine had a great game there. The developers um, did a wonderful job with it. And I mean, even though over the years I had my issues with the game and some of the changes that they did and some of the things that they did throughout those monthly patches just really irked me and, you know, made me scream and want to quit the game. For some reason, I always went back to it. It was just something that once it got into my blood, it just never left. So Asheron's Call, tip my hat to you. Great game. Let's move on to what I'm playing now. So last week, down at my local game store, we were down there. We got through three scenarios for Pathfinder Adventure card game. We are coming to the close of Rise of the Rune Lords. Hopefully, we're going to finish that up here in February because I have some other plans um, that I would like to start doing with my Sunday group or with a Sunday group, not necessarily, not necessarily my Pathfinder group. So the scenarios that we made it through, we made it through 2.5C, the Putrid Gardens. We made it through 2.5D, the Moldering Dregs. And then we made it through 2.5E, Summoning Sloth. 2.5C and D were both interesting in that they were they were scenarios where you just needed to close all the locations. And the group we had playing with us was a very, very balanced group. We all jumped at locations 
that we were able to knock out. And between us, we finished these scenarios really fast. I was really impressed with the speed. We were actually able to close some of these. And I don't know if these scenarios weren't really ramped up for the levels of our characters because it seemed like we were kind of just cruising through them. But I was really happy that we were able to move things along. Rise of the Rune Lords, for some reason for us, has taken us a little while to get through. And we've been playing it for a while. I've played through several scenarios multiple times as people haven't been able to show up on some of our weekly meetups. So we've tried to keep everybody current. Um, I know a couple of people have fallen behind. Um, on a, they've, they've missed one scenario here or there. But um, like I said, hopefully in February, we're going to close this out. And everybody's going to move on to, I believe, the Goblin scenarios after this. Uh, so one of the things that I am going to be moving on to, I think I mentioned a couple of weeks ago. I would like to get a little bit more into the Arkham Horror series of games. Um, I actually like a lot of the Arkham Files games. So what I'm hoping to do down at my local game store starting in March, I would like to start getting some Arkham Files meetups going. And I would like to I'd like it to start off with the Arkham Horror Living Card game, since that seems to be very similar to the Pathfinder Adventure Card game here. And I've been wanting to play that a lot more and just haven't been able to. Uh, other than playing it solo, and I'd like to actually start playing these things with groups, but I'd actually like to, the the group in the, the meetup to include more than just the living card game. So while Fantasy Flight is releasing scenarios for the living card game, I would like to play those, but if we are able to finish those, you know, quickly or, you know, get ahead or basically keep up with Fantasy Flight and we're looking for other things to play, I'd like to maybe start including Mansions of Madness. Maybe Eldritch Horror, since I have several of the Elds, since I have Eldritch Horror and a majority of the expansions. I think I'm only missing the last two expansions that were released for Eldritch Horror. I myself don't have Arkham Horror, but I'm sure if we get a group of people together, somebody will have Arkham Horror. And if we wanted to play that, you're more than welcome to do that as well. So I'd like it to include the whole family of Arkham File games from Fantasy Flight, not just limit, limit ourselves to the living card game. So I'm hoping that I could find people in the Northeast Ohio area who are interested in possibly a get-together like we do for the Pathfinder Adventure Card Game where we get together twice a month. If people are more interested in this and they want to do it more frequently, I would be more than happy to run this weekly if people wanted to, especially with the amount of games that Fantasy Flight has under this whole Arkham File game and, and the type of and, and the speed with which, which they're releasing different things. Um, you know, there's different scenarios coming out for Mansions of Madness all the time. It seems that they're putting out, you know, expansions for Eldritch Horror quite a bit, you know. And it's there's just so much content there, I think, that we can go through. I think there's going to be quite a bit of time we could spend in this whole Arkham File universe. So I'm going to be starting a couple of different things here, both on my website, in my um, board game Geek Guild, uh, a couple of different sections for talking about some of these things. And... We're going to see where we can take this thing. So if anybody's interested, send an email to what I'm playing now at gmail.com. And I will start informing people of when the meetups are going to start. I will start posting links out to a couple of different things that I'm going to start creating within the next week here. Because I'd like to start getting things created now to give people plenty of time to start preparing for this. And we'll see where, we'll see where it goes. I have no idea where this is going to take us. Not too sure if people are actually interested in this, but I know myself. My wife's not a huge co-op fan, as we've talked about in the past, so I'm really hoping that I can find some people locally who are, you know, like myself, looking to play this game with a group of people rather than maybe just playing it solo at home. 
So that's it for the Pathfinder Adventure card game and our, our little talk, I guess you could say, about Arkham Files, we will say. But on Thursday, when we got together for our weekly meetup down at the local game store, one of the first games we jumped into was Puzzle Strike. I talked about this game last week, so we won't go into this game into too much detail, but I will say this week um, our buddy Brian showed up. So Eric and I were setting up, and Brian had walked in, and we were like, let's try a three-player game. Brian sat down. We taught him how to play real quick. And I will say the three-player game for this was actually really fun. One of the big differences with a three-player game of Puzzle Strike is that if somebody is going to be attacking you and sending a one of the gems over to you and crashing you, your opponent can actually block for you if you can't. So let's say Eric was going to send a crash gem over to me and I didn't have a crash gem to be able to block with. Brian could jump in and actually block for me by using a crash gem because the reason you'd want to do this is the once somebody has 10 gems into their gem pool the game is over and the person with the least amount of gems in their gem pool wins so if brian didn't have the least amount of gems at that time and i'm just about getting knocked out he wants to keep me around and in the game because if not he's not going to win which I thought was a really interesting strategy. It made for a great game, which I was really I was really happy with that the game is actually not only playing well with two people, but it seems like it's going to scale up pretty well. I'd almost like to get four players together and try some of the other head-to-head games that they actually talk about in the rule book. So maybe next week if we can play this one again, maybe we can pull in a fourth real quick. I think we're going to be using this as one of our precursor kind of light games. The game does play pretty fast. I think we were able to knock out the game in 20 minutes to a half hour, even with a little bit of explanation to Brian, considering it's a deck builder. He caught on very quickly to the whole concept. Well, I don't want to say it's a deck builder because it doesn't use cards. It's a tile kind of like bag builder type of game, but it's completely reminiscent of a deck builder. So if you're kind of looking for something like this, this game has definitely definitely jumped to the top of my want list. And I, I actually showed, um, I think Watch It Played did a video several years, years ago explaining the game and the rules. And I showed it to my wife the other day and she said, I think I would like that. And I was like, cool, we need to get this game in our collection then. And that's Puzzle Strike. Serlin Games is the publisher, I believe, of that game. If you haven't heard of it yet, go check it out on BoardGameGeek. All right, and then for our next game, the second game that we played that evening, we played a really interesting auction-style tile placement game called The Princes of Florence. I believe this game was originally released back in 2000. We were playing the Rio Grande edition. I was trying to look on BoardGameGeek to see when this box was possibly released, and I, I was having some trouble finding the actual release one for this. I went to Rio Grande's page and I had found the game there, but it was still saying a release of 2000. So I really didn't dig too much into the forums or anything to see when it was actually released. But it, this isn't, I would say this is an older game considering it was released in 2000. It seems like it's had several different updates to it, I would say. And it's been a couple of different editions. The Rio Grande one was definitely really good. The only thing I would probably say would be my biggest pet peeve with this game would be the font that was utilized on a lot of the cards. The font that they used on the cards was just a crazy, crazy, crazy ass font. And some of it was just really tricky to read. You really had to look at the letters and everything to see what the hell that card was saying. But once you kind of saw what the letters were and how it was, it wasn't it wasn't impossible but it was definitely a font that 
I don't know if I would have used on an actual board game. It's It was a very unique one. I have no idea what it was called, but it was just crazy. But let's get into a little bit of how the game is played. Like I said, this is an auction-style game with some tile placement to it. I'm not going to go over the setup of the game. I will just go over some of the turn overview and kind of what you're going to be doing on your turn. Um, the first part of the game, or the first part of a round, I guess you could say, is going to be the auction phase. You're going to, whoever has the first player token, you're going to go around the board in order. And that starting player is going to bid 200, what is called florin, which is the uh, money that is in the game, on one of the objects that are actually in a purchasable pile over to the side of the board. There are multiple different things. There's jesters, there's um, parks and forests and several different things you can purchase that you'll will go on your tableau as well as builders. There's a couple of different cards you can purchase as well. We had ours laid out in what um, Brian, who was teaching it to us, we kind of put ours in what everybody feels to be the, the most desired items to the least desired. So the jesters, which give you points each time you build a building or each time you complete um, a work, I guess you should say, not build a building, each time you complete a work, the gestures will give you a couple of points. So those seem to be the most sought-after type of items all the way down to one of the last cards that um, that you really, that a lot of people really aren't normally going after. And so starting with the first player, every, he's starting off bidding 200. Going in clockwise order, everybody can increase that bid 100 or pass. Once a player's passed, they are not able to bid on that object again. When all players have passed, the player, whoever bid the most, pays the money to the bank, takes the object that they won. They we what, what we what we were doing is putting our token then on that stack of wherever it was pulled from because whatever piece, whatever token or whatever component you're actually auctioning during that round each item can only be auctioned off once. So let's say somebody bid for the jester first. That can only be um, auctioned off once that round. So somebody would put their token there, and then the next person would actually start off the auction. If the first player won or if the first player didn't win, they would start off the auction again. And you just keep going around until everybody's everybody has actually taken one item and purchase one item that round, you have to do this. And if you're the last person, whatever items are left, you can basically pick whatever one you want and spend 200 on since nobody can actually raise that auction on you since you're the last one left. Now, here's an interesting thing in the game, which we actually run in, ran into. If somebody is out of money, you can actually lose victory points. And for every victory point you lose, I believe you get 100 florin back. So it's really interesting in that when you're, actually completing a work and getting money for that work that's completed later on in the round you can turn in some of your vic some of your money for victory points but it's two to one so if i turn in 200 florin i get one victory point but if you're low on money and you need to actually get some money it's one to one so it's actually a worse type of it, it's, it's not as good if you're going to do that. So you definitely want to keep that in mind. You definitely want to watch your money and balance your money as you're going through the game. And that is pretty much the auction phase. Like I said, once everybody has purchased an item, you're going to move on to the action phase, which is the second phase of the game. Starting with the first player, each person is going to perform two actions and only two actions. 
Um, and there's a list of actions that they have. You can complete a work and you can do these actions multiple times. The only one you can't do multiple times is introducing a freedom, which we'll get to here in a second. But the first thing you can do is you complete a work, which you can do two times. And this is basically you're going to play one of the profession cards from your hand that you're dealt with at the beginning, that you're dealt at the beginning of the game or that you've purchased on your turn. And completing a work is you're going to have to have a building and some of the parks possibly in there. And each round, there's seven rounds to the game, each round, the amount you're going to need to create that work increases. So you're going to have to start building out your tableau in front of you with more items to be able to get you more points on the work as you're going through there per round. And the interesting fact of the the tableau that's going to be in front of you, which I haven't even mentioned yet, is it's really reminiscent of like Tetris. So if you've played games like Patchwork, where you're actually buying different shaped objects and having to place them on the board, you really have to pay attention because until you get builders, until you get to your second builder, none of your buildings could be adjacent to each other. Once you get to the third builder, actually all your buildings are free. The nice thing about the first builder um, when you take him is it actually takes a price of building a building, which we'll talk about here in a second, down from 700 to 300. So, but let's go back to the works real quick. So you can complete a work, you're playing that profession card, and there's a whole different list of items that will give you points, and you start adding up those points, and then you see if that work value is equal to, or equal or higher to the work value for the round. If so, you can play that card. You will then get that much money. So if I, if I have uh, 23 points, I would get 2,300 florins. And like I said before, I can turn in 200 florins for one victory point at that time and only at that time and only from that 2,300 that I took. So if I had 1,000 in my bank before, I can't use any of that 1,000 to get victory points. And I've seen that type of um, mechanic before in a couple other games. So you can build a building, like I said. Buildings start off at costing 700 If you do have one builder, it will drop the price down to 300 If you have three builders, it drops the price down to zero. You can build two buildings per turn. You will take the different tiles and place them. And like I said, until you get that second builder, they cannot be adjacent. Once you do place a building, you also get three victory points at that time. So building a build, building buildings is something that's very important as well, because not only does it help you complete that work, you know, because works need different buildings to complete them, but just for building a building, you'll get three victory points. You can take a profession card, only one profession card though per round, and that's 300 to the bank. You actually get to pick the top five cards. You'll pick one, you'll place the other four face down on the bottom of the profession stack. Like I mentioned before, you can introduce a freedom card, which is buying um, from the bank. You'll pay 300 to the bank and pick one of the freedom cards. The three freedom tiles are travel, religion, and opinion. And the interesting thing about those is those tiles, there's one less than the number of players at the table. So if you're playing a five-player game, there will only be four of each of those. So not everyone will necessarily be able to get those. So based on the work tiles that you have, having a freedom tile actually gives you a couple of more points if it matches with that um, worker with that work card. You can also acquire a bonus card. You can do this twice per turn. You'll pay 300 to the bank. You'll choose the top five just like doing the profession and you'll place four face down at the bottom of the deck and keep one. The uh, profession cards come in handy or the bonus cards come in handy because they are for end game scoring, which is where Brian caught me is 
going into the last round, I had kind of jumped ahead with the last work that I had completed. And then he had a couple of bonus cards, which gave him several points at the end of the game, which jumped him ahead at the end. And I ended up coming in second in this game, which I was extremely happy considering this was the first time I had actually played this game. But I love I love auction games like this. I think when you have a group of people together playing, we had a group of five. This game works great with five and it didn't seem to take too long to play either. But um, that, those bonus cards could definitely come in handy. They will give you bonuses based on different things that uh, different tiles that you have and different works that you've completed and stuff. So after that, you're going to clean up and score. That's going to be the last part of the round. Basically, this is a really quick part of the game. The player with the highest worker value of that round gets three victory points. Everybody removes their markers from the scoring track. You pass that starting tile around and you move on to the next round. Once the seventh round is completed, everybody counts up your prestige cards and you count up a bunch of your victory points. You do some end game scoring and see who the winner is. And I will say that this is a great game. If I can actually find this game down at my local game store, I would definitely pick this up. I think my wife would really enjoy this game considering she is very good at auction games because the one night we played auction games down at the local game store, she had a great time playing them and she did very well at them. So this game would definitely get added to my collection. I'm glad my buddy Brian brought this one down. I like playing older style games like this that have different editions and have been re-released. And this is a game I had not played before. So I was really glad that it was able to make it to the table. And that's one thing I like about going down to my local game store. You can find people who are bringing games that you haven't played that that you might not be able to find at your local game store because they're, they're older games. They you know, unless if it's something big like a ticket to ride or something, it may not be something they keep in stock. So finding some of these little treasures like this are really cool when people actually bring them down to the store. And it's one of the reasons I like going down to the game store a couple of times a week just to see what people have in their collections and try to find some of these older hidden gems that, you know, I myself haven't played. I think this game is actually ranked um, in the top 100 on BoardGameGeek. I think it was 90... 91 or so i'm trying to look on board game geek here real quick it's actually rated not overall rank 91 on board game geek so it it's actually a really good auction game if you're if you're looking for a really good auction game you have a nice group of people i i don't know how it would play with two people considering i played it with five i've heard it plays okay with two but um definitely if you can get a group of people together and try this one definitely try this one out. All right, we're going to jump over to a couple of video games here real quick. I actually spent a little bit more time with Resident Evil 7. I was having some trouble getting past one spot, so I had let the game sit for a day or two, and when I came back, of course, you can get past that spot within the first five minutes of sitting down to play. That's the way it always goes. You're stuck at something for an hour. You can't get past it. You walk away for a little bit. You come back. In five minutes, you're past it, and you're like, well, I didn't do anything different. What the hell, game? And that's what actually happened in Resident Evil 7. Uh, the story in Resident Evil 7 is still just completely insane. The characters are just nuts. Um, I'm having a really good time with it. The game is really, really reminding me of the first Resident Evil game. I mean, so far, everything that I've done has pretty much just taken place inside of the house. And I'm, I'm still inside of the house and just going around through all the different rooms and still finding different things in each room and really learning my way around this mansion quite well. So I'm, 
if you haven't played a good Resident Evil game or haven't liked some of the past Resident Evil games and you're looking for a really good horror-style adventure-type game, you know, survival game, Resident Evil is is definitely one that I can recommend to play. It's I'm having a really good time with it, and I definitely like playing it at night because in my living room, we don't have blackout curtains, so sometimes the glare on the TV with our LCD is just kind of stinks so playing some of these darker games especially Resident Evil 7 is just a dark game that you're always in a dark corridor a dark hallway in a basement that's you know but it's Resident Evil 7 I can't say so far enough good about it. I'm having a really good time with it and I can't wait to play a little bit more of that one my wife and I also revisited some Diablo 3 this past week. We're spending a little bit more time with that. The first time we played, I was pretty much just teaching her a lot of the controls, a lot of the attacks and everything like that. We really got into the game the past couple of nights. We've made it past the first several areas. We're actually moving into another part of the game now. I am going to have to start looking up several of the different things. This game has definitely changed a lot since I played it several years ago. Um... Blizzard has, has changed quite a bit from the different crafting and all the different things you can do. And when we got to the part where we could start doing some of the different augmentations to some of the items, I looked at my wife and I was like, I don't remember any of this from several years ago. So if it is the same, I just don't remember it. And I told her, I go, I'm going to need to actually do some reading up to actually see how to do some of this stuff because I don't want to mess up any of our characters. We're both leveling up really nice and quickly and... Um, I'm playing a wizard type character. She's playing a, I think it's a, a champion. I can't remember. That's all I know is she's playing a melee type character, which is just doing a hell of a lot of damage. And she's able to take a, a hell of a lot of damage. And we're both really liking it. We haven't played a really good dungeon crawl like this in many years. And she's even saying, she goes, this is a really good game. And she goes this, she's having a lot of fun with this one. Cause we haven't played a game. Like I said, like this in quite a while. And then yesterday, I actually spent a little bit more time on the PlayStation 4 with Seven Days to Die. Not too sure why I'm playing this on the PS4 when I have it on the PC, and I've played it on the PC for so long. And But I'm finally getting some of the controls down on the PS4. I'm able to do things a lot faster than I was before. I'm getting combat down a little bit. And I think I'm on day 14 uh, is what I just made it through last night. I made it through that second wave of zombies, and... I will say I had a lot of wooden spikes around my house and I kind of completely barricaded in the back door with um some iron boxes and stuff that I've upgraded and I I kind of blocked off the front porch with a lot of different wooden boxes so that the zombies couldn't get into the front so easily if they made it over the spikes. And I will say, I think the strategy actually worked out really well. I was able to walk out onto the porch and stand by the door and start shooting zombies with arrows as they were trying to get a little closer. But the spikes that I had put around the house didn't seem to become as damaged as they did on the PC. On the PC, it seems like sometimes that um, I'm going through a lot more spikes than I did from what I noticed on the PS4 yesterday. So I don't know if that's a little different between the two versions of the games, but... I was really happy that when that night was over, I walked around and looked at all the damage to the house. It wasn't as bad as I thought it would, so I was really happy with that. So I'll be probably be, be revisiting Seven Days to Die a little bit more on the PS4 here and there. You know, it's not something I'm going to, definitely not going to play nightly, but sometimes I just have a feeling of playing that Walking Dead style game, and to me, Seven Days to Die is just that Walking Dead style game, and I, I would really like to start playing this with my wife and multiplayer on the computer already, but... 
if we ever do get a chance to start that, you know, I'll definitely talk about it. But uh, we have not had a chance to do that yet. So that's about it for the games I played for the week. Let's talk about a few of the things that I want to play. All right, one of the first things I wouldn't mind getting my hands on, which I actually need to play the base game, but I know I'm going to be kickstarting this one, and that's Tramways Paris, New York. It's an expansion for Tramways. Um, Elbin Viard is the publisher and designer of this game. Um, he's made Clinic, and I've had Tramways for a little while now. I have not had a chance to get it to the table, sit down and read the rules, and I, I need to do that already. This is the game I need to play, especially if he's releasing an update for it. Uh, I need to get the base game to the table already. I'm, I'm going to be ordering and kickstarting the expansion. I know I will because I know that this game is, from what I've heard and read so far from a couple other podcasts and reading online, that the game is actually very good. So I definitely will not miss this Kickstarter. That's Tramways Paris in New York. Definitely check that one out if you're looking for a heavier style game. Then I also noticed on uh, one of the Facebook groups I'm in, somebody had mentioned that... Uh, Renegade actually released an update to the Renegade Companion app, and this is an app that I believe had, which could be used for their game Fuse originally, but it appears that they've added a few other things to it, and one of the things being Clank. There's a Clank mode for the game. And I downloaded it real quick and took a look at it, but basically what the description says is Clank Mode provides a single-player dungeon delve for your favorite deck-building adventure, and it also introduces exciting mini-quests to add surprise to multiplayer games. And so I took a look at it. It seems that one of the things that it adds is almost like um, a third character that can be utilized in the game. You're also removing a couple of tiles from the board, and there are a couple other things that it did. Um, I just took a look at the app real quick after it downloaded. Uh, my wife and I are definitely going to be playing this game this week and we're going to try to do a stream of it this week we've talked about it uh for the past week now and i think this coming week is going to be the start of the stream so watch out on our twitter um stream and make sure you're following us on twitter so you can possibly watch us do this live on twitch and i would like to use the companion app as we're playing through this because i did not realize that they were actually going to be releasing this and i think this could really add something to the game and give us a few more changes before the expansion comes out for clank which was one of my top games from last year which i really enjoyed so that's it that's it for this week those are the games i played for the week those are the few things that i want to play as always, send me some emails. Let me know what you're playing now. You can send the emails to what I'm playing now at gmail.com. You can also join us in some conversations over on Board Game Geek. We have a guild there. We are guild number 2440. On Twitter, you can follow me at what I'm playing now. Don't forget to drop the G like I always say. On Facebook, just do a search for what I'm playing now. Our Google Plus page is plus.google.com slash the plus sign what I'm playing now podcast. And then as always, our Twitch channel is twitch.tv slash what I'm playing now. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining me. For another great week of gaming, I will be back next week with more games played and more games that I want to play. But until then, you know what to do. Go play some games and then let me know what you're playing now. Thanks for joining me this week, everybody. Have a great one. We'll talk to you later. Bye-bye.